0: Hey, everybody, we've made it to Friday. It's Friday, September 8th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Wanunu.
1: And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, recording today from our WeWork headquarters, loving it here. I know you've been here at least once.
1: I have. I'm a big fan. I like the coffee. I like the vibe. (laughs) I like the whole thing. (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, unlimited coffee. So we have our Mo News HQ here in Brooklyn um, at the WeWork, but they have hundreds of locations across the country. You can rent a desk, you can rent an office for one, for more than one, for many people. Uh, and right now there's a special deal going on 30% off WeWork All Access, limited time. The code is MoWorksFlash. So you can check that out in the show notes.
1: All right, let's get to some headlines here. Tens of thousands of daycare programs at risk of closing. We'll tell you why and what that could mean for all the gains that women have made in the workforce. The Supreme Court hinting that they understand they need to do something about all the ethics questions in recent months. A new warning that health insurance costs are taking their biggest jump in years. On to immigration. The mayor of New York City takes aim at the White House, saying that the migrant crisis will, quote, destroy America's largest city. We also check in on housing and the new apartment boom in America. The boss, Bruce Springsteen, postponing all of his September tour dates. We'll tell you why. Maine, known for its lobster. Mosh. how about seaweed? Hmm. (laughs)
0: Acquired taste.
1: (laughs) And flamingos spotted from Florida to Pennsylvania. How did they get there? Plus, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. What we are watching, reading, and eating.
0: Jill, I have a good sense of what you're watching this weekend.
1: Tennis, anyone? All right, let's start with the state of child care in America. It was just a few days ago that we reported about the record number of women in the workforce who had young kids. Well, those gains are potentially at risk as pandemic-era funding for daycare providers expires at the end of September. Since November of 2021, child care providers have had access to childcare workforce stabilization grants Meant to stabilize the child care community by providing money to help them retain and recruit staff, it was all part of the American Rescue Plan. So this was a two-year initiative that is now coming to a close. And according to a new report from the Century Foundation, more than three million children could lose their spots as seventy thousand child care programs are likely to close. The Century Foundation saying it's not going to happen immediately because providers will try to make it work for as long as they possibly can. But closures will likely pick up in the six to twelve months after that funding ends, and that's going to have ripple effects across the entire economy
0: so some parents here could obviously be forced out of work or to cut their work hours due to a lack of child care businesses and as you said, there could be a real ripple effect here because the businesses who lose valuable employees or experience the impact of their employees' childcare disruptions will then be impacted. state economies. Then lose tax revenue and jobs in the child care sector as a result. Looking closer at the numbers here, Texas is the most impacted state. Nearly 300,000 kids are set to lose their spot at daycare when nearly 4,000 facilities close. In New York State, 252,000 kids won't have access to care, where 6,000 daycares are closing. In six states, Arkansas, Montana, Utah, Virginia, West Virginia, and DEC, the number of licensed daycare centers, is at risk of being cut in half in those places come October. Some daycare centers could be forced to raise prices as a way to make up for the lack of funding. In a survey last year, about 43% of child care center directors said their programs would have to raise tuition When that pandemic stabilization funding ends, a senior economist over at Wells Fargo tells Bloomberg, the high cost of childcare alters that calculation of whether going back to work or continuing work is worth it for a lot of parents. In some cases, parents may look at their paycheck and just say, you know, ultimately, I'm just handing all this money over to daycare. Should I stay in the workforce? As you mentioned, workforce participation at record highs, the number of women aged 25 to 54 with small kids. In the workforce, reached just over 70% uh, earlier this summer. That's compared to the peak of 68.9% before the pandemic. Um, As for a possible solution here, over in the U.S. House, a Democrat, Ro Khanna, and a Republican, Nancy Mace, of South Carolina, have formed a bipartisan caucus looking at this issue. But there does not appear to be enough support in Congress right now to restore funding. As we've mentioned, Republicans recently really looking to tap down on spending.
1: This is a a real issue. Uh, There's an advocacy group called Parents Together Action, um, and they did a recent survey of about 200 parents who have kids under the age of five, and nearly 60 percent said that they or a member of their household had to actually cut back on work hours or even leave a job because they couldn't find reliable child care that was within their budget.
0: So, Jill, we'll continue to monitor that, though I'll end this segment with a bit of good news for women. Uh, Another state has dropped the tampon tax. Texas became the 24th state this week to eliminate a sales tax on menstrual products. Before the shift, Texas had classified period products, pads, tampons, menstrual cups, etc., as optional or luxury items and applied a more than 6% tax. There's currently over one dozen states that still charge sales tax on menstrual products. But it's become an issue. They call it the tampon tax. And now Texas has joined 23 other states and D.C. in no longer attaching a tax to the product. Big issue, uh, especially among low-income women who can't afford these necessary products.
1: All right, let's head now to the nation's highest court, where it appears the justices are going to do something about the recent ethics issues. Justice Brett Kavanaugh telling a judicial conference on Thursday that he hopes that there will be, quote, concrete steps soon to address recent ethics concerns surrounding the court. He said we can increase confidence. We are working on that. He said all nine judges recognize that public confidence in the court is important particularly now. According to polls, public trust in the court is at a 50-year low. Kavanaugh stopped short of addressing calls for justices to institute an official code of conduct. That has been a major push, as all other federal judges below the Supreme Court have a code of conduct when it comes to financial matters. Congress also has been saying that they may get involved here uh, if the court doesn't do something on their own. Kavanaugh saying there is a storm around us in the political world and the world at large in America. We as judges and the legal system need to try to be a little more, I think, of the calm in the storm.
0: So Justice Clarence Thomas recently acknowledged that he took three trips last year aboard a private plane owned by Republican Megadona Harlan Crow, even as he rejected criticism over his failure to report trips in previous years. Uh, This has been the core of the accusations Clarence Thomas taking, many, many gifts, many trips from this uh, donor who he calls a friend and not reporting them. There's been a number of reports by the investigative news site ProPublica that also reveal that Justice Samuel Alito failed to disclose a private trip to Alaska that he took about 15 years ago that was paid for by two wealthy Republican donors, one of whom repeatedly had interest before the court. The AP has been reporting that Justice Sonia Sotomayor over on the liberal side, aided by her staff, has been forcing colleges and college libraries to buy her books during college visits. Both Thomas and Alito maintain that the ethics rules do not require a disclosure of trips paid for by friends. They consider these mega donors uh, friends here and feel like they don't have to reveal all this stuff. Legal experts are divided on that question, but generally agree that Thomas should have reported a property sale that he made to Harlan Crow. This was his uh, a boyhood home uh, that Harlan Crow bought and helped turn into a museum. You mentioned Congress here trying to get involved. The Senate Judiciary Committee advanced legislation over the summer that would require the justices to follow disclosure rules as strict as those that apply to members of Congress. So right now, if you work in the executive branch and you work in the legislative branch, you have a lot of requirements when it comes to disclosure and limits on uh, taking trips, getting gifts. Those rules do not apply to the third branch of government over the Supreme Court. So Democrats in the Senate are saying we got to do this. But the majority of Republicans over in Congress oppose this. So it's unlikely to succeed at this point. And so for now, the Supreme Court polices itself. It claims it's a separation of powers issue. Of course, Congress does allocate funds to the Supreme Court and could pass something here. But again, with that partisan split, it does not appear to be happening anytime soon.
1: Plenty of news left to get to. But for now, a quick word from our sponsor. Parlez-vous français?
0: Un petit peu, Gilles.
1: (laughs) Very nicely done, Moshe. (laughs) I think you said maybe a little Yes, yes, a little bit. (laughs) Okay, so I don't. That's about as far as I go, uh, which is why I am really excited about our newest sponsor, Babbel. The best way to learn a language is through immersion, living where the language is spoken natively and using it every day. But that isn't really possible for everyone. So what is the second best way to learn a language? Babbel. Because with Babbel, you could start speaking a new language in just three weeks. I'm about to start my French lessons and I cannot wait why Babbel? Because it works. Instead of paying hundreds of dollars for a private tutor or fooling yourself with language apps that are a little bit more than games, Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as 3 weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. All of Babbel's tips and tools for learning a new language are approachable, accessible, and rooted in real-life situations. And they have a special limited time deal for our listeners to get you started right now. You can get 55% off your Babbel subscription. Just head to babbel.com slash news With our discount, that's just about $6 a month to learn a new language. Moshe, how do you say very good in French? Très
0: bien, Jill.
1: I don't know if I could do it with, with the accent that you just <laughs> did, but that is Trey Bien. Again, that deal, 55% off at Babbel.com slash Monews. And it's spelled Babbel, babbe com slash Monews, M-O-N-E-W-S. Some rules and restrictions might apply. Time for the speed read from the Wall Street Journal. Health insurance costs are taking the biggest jump in years. Costs for employer coverage are expected to surge about 6.5% for 2024. According to major benefits consulting firms Mercer and Willis Towers Watson, the groups project the increase will be the biggest in more than a decade. Yet many employers are expected to take on the lion's share of the increase, partly because of the labor market that is still tight in many sectors. Such a boost could add significantly to the price tag for employer plans that already average more than $14,600 a year per employee for people who have individual insurance plans sold under the Affordable Care Act. Those premiums also expected to rise by about 6% next year, Among the factors leading to faster health insurance cost growth are hospitals, higher labor costs, and also heavy demand for new and expensive diabetes and obesity drugs like Ozempic.
0: For several years now, health coverage costs nationally increased relatively slowly, partly because the pandemic chilled doctor and hospital visits. Yet hospitals have had to raise wages for nurses and pay more for other expenses. So to cover their own rising costs their hospital systems uh, have been raising their prices and then getting insurers to pay more. So benefits managers and companies across America now expect that that will eventually raise costs here for employers that pay healthcare coverage. At the end of the day, they got to pass along the costs here. Uh, and so it's being passed along to the businesses. Now, the domino effect here was slowed because insurers' contracts with hospital systems usually aren't renegotiated annually, but it has begun to hit some insurance rates this year, likely to accelerate next year. So like we see with inflation in all other major sectors of the economy, it will hit health insurance if it hasn't hit you already.
1: It is Democrat versus Democrat when it comes to the issue of immigration from The New York Times, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, escalating his rhetoric over the migrant crisis, claiming in stark terms that his city was being destroyed by an influx of migrants from the southern border and saying that he did not see a way to fix the issue. Here's a little bit of what he had to say.
0: Let me tell you something, New Yorkers. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. We're getting 10,000 migrants a month. One time we were just in Venezuela. Now we are in Ecuador. Now we're getting Russian speaking coming through Mexico. Now we're getting uh, Western Africa. Now we're getting people from all over the globe have made their minds up that they're going to come through the southern part of the border and come into
1: New York City. So, Moshe, I don't think I've ever really heard the mayor talk in that kind of language. New York City, by the way, has a mandate that it must provide shelter to anybody who needs it. And it is a policy that has presented an enormous challenge for Adams, who has tried to weaken that mandate through legal and strategic measures.
0: A reminder here that Adams is a Democrat in his second year in office. He's clashed with leading members of his party, including at the White House, as New York has been struggling to provide housing and services to the migrants. Now over 100,000 have arrived in New York City. For months, Adams has been criticizing President Biden, Uh, the governor of the state, Kathy Hochul, for failing to give the city what it needs to provide for these asylum seekers. By the way, you have a lot of Republicans down in the South who are like, welcome to our reality, Eric Adams. Uh, It's one of the reasons, by the way, Governor Abbott in Texas has been busing migrants to New York, to Chicago, to some other cities led by Democrats, because he's like, I want you to experience what we're experiencing here in Texas as far as Adams is concerned and New York City, he pointed to new projections that the city's budget gap could grow to nearly $12 billion, billion billion with a B there. That's the same amount that city officials estimate the migrants would cost the city over three years. Adams said, you know, with many of these people not able to work because of asylum law as it is, the city has to house and feed these migrants. As New York City students returned to school this week, city officials said that about 20,000 migrant children were expected to join them. So the mayor here warning in stark terms that every service in the city is going to need to face cuts here as the city tries to afford all of this. The arrival of the new migrants has pushed the population of the city's shelters to record levels and stretch services past their capacity jill interestingly it comes as we're seeing a headline come out of the la times on thursday that reports that the white house is considering a new policy of limiting travel for asylum seekers restricted to where they arrived uh, mainly texas there including using ankle bracelets to ensure the country can track them easier ensure easier deportation you know oftentimes these migrants are let in given asylum hearings, but sometimes they don't happen for months and sometimes years. And so the U.S. loses track of these people across the U.S. And so they're looking at this policy. Immigration advocates very upset about this. Uh, This was tried a bit during the Reagan administration. Interesting to see it uh, come back into the discussion. But it does give you a sense of the need right now for some new policy measures as we continue to see just the numbers of people come across the border.
1: So I was listening to Eric Adams as he was giving that spiel, you know, that we played that soundbite from uh, to that crowd. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he said really struck me because he said, you know, for all of these migrants, not only do we have to house them and feed them, we have to do their laundry. We have to provide them medical services. Uh, we're sending the kids to school. Right. And maybe I just never thought about it, but I, I didn't totally realize how much really went into it. I mean, the city is basically taking on all of their needs.
0: And by the way, New York City, not very efficiently run. I mean, you look at the taxes in the state, and the city, et cetera, and you're still driving over roads and bridges that were built 100 years ago and subway systems that look like third world countries. Um, In fact, there's developing countries that have nicer subway systems than New York City these days. So it's not known to be most efficient with the use of funds. And they have these added costs. Interestingly, uh, Jill, the applause for Mayor Adams on Thursday Coming from Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House Republican, saying Mayor Adams is right. New York City deserves better. Also, Mike Pence, Republican, former vice president, candidate for president. A hat tip to the mayor of New York who's been willing to call out President Joe Biden and his administration for their absolute failure to secure the southern border. So it gives you a sense of how the people at the White House might be feeling about Eric Adams these
1: days. I think it just speaks to the larger issue as well. Because he was saying, look, Staten Island is saying, send them to Brooklyn. Brooklyn's saying, send them to Queens. Queens says NIMBY,
0: not in my backyard.
1: Exactly. He says, every plan that we come up with, we're met with opposition. And it's something that we're seeing across the country. From Axios, new apartment construction in the U.S. on track to top a 50-year high with nearly 461,000 units expected to be built across the United States this year, according to a new report from Rent Cafe. A housing shortage in the U.S. has contributed to rising costs of both renting and buying. A surge in new apartment supply, 1.2 million units were completed during the pandemic. That did help to slow rent growth nationwide, but some parts of the country saw more housing being built than others.
0: Yeah, the bulk of those new apartments are located in the 20 metro areas, where about 40% of U.S. renters live. Uh, Nearly 90% of the units completed over the last three years, by the way, are higher-end units, not the type of affordable apartments that many renters want. One million rental units are slated for completion over the next two years, but higher costs and other headwinds could slow this pacing. New York, Dallas, Austin, Miami, seeing the most number of apartments come online. But you're even seeing cities uh, where apartments were not always that popular, Nashville, Orlando. As home prices get really, really expensive there, they're bringing more apartments online. Talking about home building, by the way, that has picked up in recent months. In July, single-family housing starts jumped nearly 7% over June. So they're finally starting to build some homes here. But we are far, far behind. There just were many years there where there just was not enough development and home building. And it does come, Jill, as you know, we're talking about nearly eight percent on the 30 year mortgage and housing prices, though, slightly down from the covid peak. Not down that much.
1: From CNBC, Maine lobstermen are getting into the seaweed business as climate change threatens the catch. Lobsters have long been a staple of the Maine economy worth roughly three hundred and eighty eight million dollars last year alone. But climate change is putting the catch at risk. The Gulf of Maine's waters are heating faster than nearly every other ocean in the world because of climate change. As a result, the survival rate of lobster eggs laid off of the southern coast is dropping, moving the lobster catch north and leaving some lobstermen in a pinch. Dozens are now becoming kelp farmers as a way to diversify.
0: Yeah, we traveled up there actually a couple of years ago and went out uh, on a lobster ship, lobster boat, to see how they Collect And they were talking about this uh, a couple of years ago. In fact, if you go way back, you know, as waters have warmed, there used to be a much more robust uh, lobster fishing situation in New York, in New Jersey, down the coast. But as waters have warmed, that moved north. But now it's impacting, you know, the hub of it in Maine. So now, as you said, some of them going to seaweed. Roughly 90% of seaweed is currently grown overseas. But the U.S. seaweed market is expected to grow to over $5 billion over the next six years. You're seeing seaweed more and more at the grocery store. It's most commonly used in foods, supplements, but has been branching out recently. They've been utilizing it in cosmetics, uh, clothing, bioplastics. And notably, as we talk about climate change here, seaweed is also what they call a natural carbon sink. So it actually helps the ocean to absorb excess carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Many people don't know this, but our ocean does more than even the Amazon rainforest and all the trees uh, in taking in CO2 and putting out oxygen. But again, as the ocean's warmer, that's killing off certain biodiversity that helps that, by the way, we humans have not uh, been helpful. Whales are key to taking in CO2. And we've killed about 99% of the whales over the course of the past couple hundred years.
1: Speaking of Mother Nature from NPR, flamingos have been popping up in the most unusual of places since Hurricane Adelia blew through parts of the U.S. Southeast last week, elating bird watchers, according to counts on the American Birding Association's rare bird alert Facebook page.
0: Jill, are you subscribed to that page?
1: (laughs) No, but I I kind of want to be. (laughs) Um, But according to that page, there have been sightings in at least 10 states Florida, Ohio, North and South Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, Alabama, Texas, and Kentucky. Also, there have been reports as far north as Pennsylvania. Experts say the birds likely got caught up in the hurricane last week, which is a fairly common phenomenon for birds, but not really for flamingos.
0: Jill, if only... All of Facebook was as nice and informative as the American Birding Association's Rare Bird Alert Facebook page. (laughs) Yes. So American flamingos, while native to Florida, were hunted to near extinction at the beginning of the 1900s and make up just 1% of the global flamingo population. But there is a sizable population of the flamingos down in the Yucatan Peninsula, down there in Mexico, and now they've been making their way um, north temporarily. So that's why bird enthusiasts who are aware of how rare it is to see them in America have been shocked to see them hanging out in Florida uh, and in a number of these states. In terms of how the flamingos navigated a major storm, we're told there's no definitive explanation.
1: So nobody interviewed the birds. <laughs>
0: we don't. We don't have live cameras on the birds. Like we didn't attach GoPros to them yet, but maybe we should. And yes, uh, so far the flamingos aren't talking. Uh, the theory goes that they could have gotten caught up in the storm and flown with the wind, or perhaps had been in the eye of Idalia and moved with it until the storm broke apart. Remember, Idalia formed there in the Yucatan Peninsula, and moved its way through florida georgia and the carolinas now how do they get home the flamingos are big strong birds more than capable of making their way back home so they'll probably head back at some point but jill uh, enjoy them while you see them before they head home back to the yucatan peninsula meanwhile staying with the tropics here we're watching another major storm hurricane lee it's expected to become a category five over the weekend as it makes its way north of the caribbean The big question right now for meteorologists, does it make the turn north, avoid Bermuda and the U.S. East Coast? Uh, I've been looking at what they call the spaghetti models, those lines that uh, try to project out. Uh, And right now, most of them keep it off of the U.S. East Coast, but it's too far out. Uh, But a lot of them do take it potentially through Nova Scotia. So Canadians are on standby for a major storm. They've had a couple of these over the course of the past few decades. So we'll keep track of that and let you know on Monday where it's headed.
1: When I used to work on the national news desk over at NBC, I feel like we always followed that European model because they tended to have the better track record.
0: Yeah, there's like 30 different tracks, 30 different models, but like the European model versus all these other models tended to be more accurate. But they must have added some new software to it because this year it's like out of whack with the rest of them and hasn't quite been as perfect as it once was in the past. (laughs) Listen, on Monday, I'll have an update for you on where the... Trackers are, including the European model, I promise.
1: And from Variety, Bruce Springsteen has canceled all of the remaining dates on his touring calendar for the month of September with a statement on his social media saying that he is suffering from peptic ulcer disease and has been advised by doctors to take the rest of the month off for treatment. The statement was followed by a note from Springsteen. He said, over here on E Street, we are heartbroken to have to postpone these shows. We've been having a blast at our U.S. shows and we're looking forward to more great times. We will be back soon. And it was signed, love and God bless all, Bruce. Now, according to the Washington Post, peptic ulcer disease is a break in the lining of the stomach or intestine caused by increased acid. It affects about five to 10% of the population and it's actually caused by bacteria not stress or food or drink like coffee, uh, like other ulcers. So apparently
0: peptic ulcer disease does impact about 4 million people around the world every year. About 10% of the general population will experience this at some point in their lifetimes. Uh, Springsteen, 73, by the way, he turned 74 in a couple weeks. The postponements closely followed dates Springsteen missed in Philadelphia in August due to an illness that at the time went unnamed. Those Philly shows push back to next year, He has been back on the road since, playing shows lasting as long as three hours. He is Springsteen, of course. He likes to do those mega, mega shows where he doesn't stop. And I have seen pictures of the most recent shows over at New Jersey's MetLife Stadium.
1: Okay, Mosh, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for what we are watching, reading, and eating. Mosh, what are you watching?
0: Week one of the NFL I am back in my fantasy football league with my friends. I have set my draft line up, so I'll be watching closely to see how uh, my picks do. Staying with sports is obviously U.S. Open weekend, but I'll let you discuss that further. And there was a film called Banshees of Inisherin that got a whole bunch of Oscar nominations. And I recall watching the Oscars and hearing it over and over again. I was like, I need to see that at some point. Well, I just saw that it popped up on Hulu, so I'm going to check Banshees of Inisherin out this weekend, hopefully. Jill, what are you watching?
1: You mentioned it's a big weekend for sports. So, college football, you've got Alabama versus Texas Saturday night. That's going to be a big game. Of course, in my house, we're watching Michigan and Ohio State as well. Also, the U.S. Open, you've got the Djokovic Shelton match. It's this afternoon at 3 p.m. Ben Shelton, a young American on the rise, playing against Novak Djokovic, a favorite at the U.S. Open. I'm going to root for both. Jill, what are you reading? Sticking with the U.S. Open, there's an article in Time magazine called Francis Tiafo Wants Tennis to Loosen Up. He is part of this long-awaited American emergence on the men's side of the game. And he talks about how he wants tennis to modernize and, and let fans scream and shout and have a great time at matches. Not having so many rules, most where you have to be so quiet during each match. So he's saying, you know, let people have some fun.
0: I wonder if the tennis authorities are going to listen to that or they're going to continue <laughs> shushing people.
1: Unclear if anything is going to change, but I do think that it is interesting because it's one of the very few professional sports that you go to watch where you have to be quiet pretty much the whole time.
0: Right. It's golf and tennis. Golf <laughs> and tennis. You go, shh, shh, let them play.
1: <laughs> okay, Moshe, what are you reading?
0: Jill, I am reading right now Never Enough by uh, Jennifer Breheny Wallace, a former colleague actually from CBS. She was 60 Minutes back in the day. She has a book about achievement culture and, in particular, focused on the trend in the past 20, 25 years towards all these parents pre-programming their kids and the impact it's having and the remarkable numbers they're seeing when it comes to anxiety and depression, the likelihood of substance abuse, anxiety, depression, much higher from kids from higher income brackets than, uh, say, from the inner city. So interesting book there, some interesting analysis when it comes to what parents should be doing the roles uh higher education colleges, the U.S. News World Report survey uh, impact they're having here. And so uh, just wrapping up an interview with her, and we will be having that very soon on the Mo News Premium podcast.
1: Moshe, I can't wait to watch that interview because I think as a parent, and you're going to see this pretty soon, it is hard not to get caught up in Mm. what everybody else is doing. Oh, you've got lessons for your kid. You're doing-
0: My four-year-old speaks Mandarin and plays violin.
1: Instruments, tennis lessons. And it's hard not to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. Yeah. But I do think it's important to let kids be kids. And I saw that even a couple of years ago. I was trying to sign my daughter up for dance and and all these activities, and she just didn't want to do them. And I actually spoke to a couple of people at her nursery school, and they're like, just going to nursery school is a lot. Let her just do this. This, this is okay if this is her activity. And it, it was kind of a reality check.
0: Yeah. I mean, she talks about striking this balance between, you know, making things available to your kids. And a lot of parents then take that to saying, you know, our role is to fuel and support their ambition. But in this culture, sometimes what kids need is the opposite. Sometimes they need their parents to hold them back. Uh, And sometimes all that stuff you're putting in front of them is putting pressure on them and making them think that their value in life is associated with achievement in all of those things. And in many cases, it's parents projecting things they wish they would have had or things they want to achieve on their children. So it's an interesting uh, book when it comes to psychology, parenting, et cetera, and uh, definitely will be of high interest to this audience. Yeah, and then
1: go read Tiger Mom, which basically argues... The opposite.
0: Well, this is the counter argument to the tiger mom culture.
1: Okay, Moshe, what are we eating this weekend?
0: Jill, as you know, uh, my wife constantly provides me with snacks, and you know, is always trying out new things. I typically probably wouldn't pick this up myself at the grocery store, but they're actually uh, pretty tasty. They're called Fruise Balls. They're vegan energy balls, caramel, chocolate, and peanut butter. I'm holding it up for those of you who watch on YouTube. I've been stacking on them today, just before the podcast. Pretty good, by the way. They're not a sponsor. Just a snack. What are you eating?
1: So, now that my daughter's in school, I have to pack all of these snacks for her. And I also have to have snacks Mm -hmm. when she comes home from school. So, I just bought some potato chips from her that are a bit of a healthier, cleaner take on Pringles, I think. They're from a company called the Good Crisp Company Potato Crisps. And I have to say, they're pretty delicious.
0: All right, we're trying out new snacks this new school year.
1: We're crunching away over here. All right, thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And review us in the App Store.
0: And if you haven't joined Mo News Premium, I'll give you another reason to. We have a new premium podcast out this weekend. It's already available. It's me and Alex talking about a second and third trimester, how we're preparing for baby. We put out one on the premium feed back in May where we did our gender reveal, where we talked about the first trimester and got pretty personal uh, about our relationship, about kids, all of that. And so this is a continuation of that. Uh, And so that is out uh, next week. We'll have an interview with Alex's midwife where we'll be talking about her pregnancy, but also just the state of maternal health in the country. So a couple special episodes that'll exclusively be on the premium podcast feed for everybody. If you want to become a premium member and get access to those pods, as well as our uh, daily members-only Instagram account, you can do that over at mo.news slash premium. Again, mo.news slash premium. Right now, we have a 30-day free trial with the code, what else, mo.news.trial.
1: All right, everyone, have a great weekend. See you Monday. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.